Welcome to Orphans Entertainment, the podcast dedicated to public domain and abandoned media. I'm your host, Christopher, and with me is the woman who ain't misbehaving. She's Miss Lydia. <laughs> Let me introduce myself with a hearty laugh. <laughs> I never know what to say. And that, for me, is really saying something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if, if anyone that knows you, <laughs> they, yeah. they would know that, what kind of a statement that is. <laughs> How are you, Lydia? I am doing all right. Better to be talking to you, though. Oh, well, good. Thank you very much. It's always nice to hear. (laughs) Uh, Before we get into it any further, I just want to thank everyone for tuning in. And for anyone who hasn't already, let you know that you can listen and subscribe to the show by visiting Apple Podcasts, Stitcher Radio, Google Play, and now we are on Spotify. Now, I encourage you to please rate and review us if any of those outlets allow that, because that will allow the podcast to reach other listeners, and that would be awesome. And you can also just search for us in any podcast app of your choice, and I'm pretty sure we're going to show up. (laughs) You can join our Facebook group. Just go over to Facebook and search for Orphaned Entertainment. We have a YouTube channel. You can subscribe to that. And uh, just, yeah, search for Orphan Entertainment over there. You can subscribe to that channel. And there you can watch many of the films that we have covered here on the podcast, as well as know a little in advance what film we're going to be covering next. And if you'd like to email us with any comments, suggestions, or feedback on this or any episode, please type or record a message and send it to orphanedentertainment at gmail.com. All these links are on our webpage over at orphanedentertainment.com. That's all the important stuff that that starts the show every month. <laughs> so go let's listen to a 5-minute mystery and a promo for another podcast and when we return we'll learn more about 1940s misbehaving husbands. Another 5-minute mystery. south, hidden in the mysterious low country of Cuba, a sugar plantation house, dimly lighted in the somber dusk. In the parlor of the house sits a small, thin woman. Lester Lockwood is my brother, Inspector. His wife, Nydia, drove him to throw himself off the riverbank. Suppose you tell me the whole story. Well, two years ago, my brother and his wife left their professorships in the English department at Lindbrook College and came here to live and write. Time went by, Nydia became fascinated by the native drums. One night, she wandered alone in the jungle. And never came back, as I remember. And then the first of those mysterious notes appeared, written in blood on dried bark. I have been chosen, it said, for one of the living dead. Come to me, Lester, and share my eternity. It was signed, Nydia. Lester watched for her, certain somehow she'd come for him. And last night, we were standing on the jungle path. Judith, the drums, they're getting louder. She will come, I know she will. Oh, Lester, give up this plantation, it's evil. It's too late. She's here. Listen, do you hear that? What? A movement, yonder, beyond the trees. Look. Oh, Lester, it is an idiot. 
true. <laughs> Judith, my wife's one of the living dead. Lester, come back! I've got to find her and save her from this voodoo magic. He ran off in the darkness, and I went quickly back to the house to wait. And at last, Lester came back. I couldn't find her. I looked everywhere. Then you've got to come away from this place tonight. Judith, look, here on the window ledge. Another of those terrible notes. What did it say? You are a human. You cannot know the glory of eternal life. Come to the jungle, to the drums, and share my living death. Keep this between you and I. She's trying to destroy you. Trying to, Lester. I'm going to, Judith. No. Lydia's waiting for me to come. Lester, come back. Come back. And this is the note your brother found last night on the window ledge, Miss Lockwood. eh? Yes. Others, I suppose he destroyed them. I see. And you say your brother's wife was formerly an English instructor? At Lindbrook. She met Lester there. Your story, Miss Lockwood, is interesting, and I think I know the truth. But the chief at headquarters would rather hear it from you, so come along. What was the clue that led Inspector James to arrest Judith Lockwood? In a moment, he'll tell us, but first... For 14 seasons, Sam and Dean Winchester have been busy with saving people, hunting things, and the family business on the CW Supernatural. It sounds like a lot for someone to come along and try to catch up on the hundreds of episodes this show has to offer. But that's exactly what we're making my little sister do, whether she likes it or not. I'm Matt. I'm PG. And I'm Jess. Two of us are huge fans, one of us is an unspoiled newbie, and we're watching every episode of Supernatural together. We discuss, analyze, and playfully mock this show all to realize that everyone dies and no one gets closure. Listen to Season 14, Time for a Podcast, on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Google Play. And now, here's Inspector James. Under questioning, Judith Lockwood broke down and confessed to the murder of her brother and his wife. She was a pretty mixed-up woman, but she had imagination. I knew Judith had written the note herself because no instructor of the English language is going to make two grammatical errors in four short sentences. You don't say human for human being. And nothing is ever between you and I. So, if you didn't know, let's keep it between you and me. back, everyone. Misbehaving Husbands was directed by William Bodine for Producers Releasing Corporation. Bodine directed silent films for Goldwyn Pictures before it became part of MGM, Metro Pictures, also before MGM, <laughs> and First National Pictures, Principal Pictures, and Warner Brothers. He had at least 30 pictures to his credit before the sound era even began. Bodine was one of the number, or was one of a number of experienced directors who went to England um, in the 1930s to work there for the major studios. When he returned to America in 1937, he had a little bit of trouble reestablishing himself at the at those very same major studios. Mm. Once an A-list director, Bodine had commanded a premium salary in the late 20s that the Hollywood producers of the late 30s didn't want to match. 1940, publicist turned producer Jed Buell 
uh, approached Bodine to direct an all-black cast feature for Buell's Dixie National Pictures. The salary was a flat $500 for one week's work. <laughs> Bodine knew that if he accepted this job, he would be associated with low-budget films and would probably never get anything like his old salary again. But with his finances as they were, he accepted the job. Well, Buell was pleased with Bodine's professionalism and inventive ways to maximize a shoestring budget, so he hired him to direct Misbehaving Husbands. Noteworthy at the time is the comeback feature of silent screen star Harry Langdon. It was a humble comeback for both Langdon and Bodine, but it was successful and reestablished both Langdon and Bodine, albeit in B pictures. William Bodine became a low-budget specialist and recouping his financial losses through sheer volume of work. He became a fixture at the ambitious Monogram Pictures and directed half of the 48 comedy features starring the Bowery Boys. By this time, Bodine had a reputation for being a resourceful, no-nonsense director who could make feature films in a matter of days, sometimes as few as five. Which, if you think nowadays, someone doing a movie in five days, <laughs> that's yeah. crazy. <laughs> yeah, that's something that they usually get a nomination for, yeah. if, it's any, if it's decent at all. <laughs> Bodine was often entrusted with series films, including The Torchy Blaine, The East Side Kids, The Shadow, Charlie Chan, and the Bowery Boys series. His efficiency was so well known that Walt Disney hired him to direct some of his television projects of the 1950s. Mm -hmm. Became even busier in TV, directing Naked City, The Green Hornet, and dozens of Lassie episodes. His last two feature films, both released in 1966, were the horror westerns Billy the Kid vs. Dracula with John Carradine, and Jesse James meets Frankenstein's daughter, which yeah. Lydia reminded us we actually covered a couple years ago. We did. <laughs> I knew William Bodine's name sounded familiar, but I couldn't place it until I started doing the, doing the research, and I recognized those titles, but I had forgotten that we actually covered the movie. <laughs> By the end of the decade, uh, this would be the 1960s, uh, he was the industry's oldest working professional, having mm -hmm. started in the industry in 1909. Mm -hmm. So that was pretty cool. As I mentioned, our star Harry Langdon was a very successful vaudeville and silent film star. At the height of his film career, he was considered one of the four best comics of the silent film era. His screen character was that of a wide-eyed, childlike man with an innocent understanding of the world and the people in it. But his babyish character did not adapt well to sound films. He was still a big enough name to command leads in short subjects for educational pictures and Columbia pictures. In 38, he adopted sort of a henpecked husband character that served him fairly well. He continued to work steadily in low-budget features and shorts into the 40s, playing mild-mannered goofs. <laughs> he also contributed to comedy scripts as a writer, notably for Loyal and Hardy which led him to being paired with Oliver Hardy in a 1939 film titled Zenobia during a period when Stan Laurel was in a bitter contract dispute. Now Betty Blythe, who plays Effie Butler in the film, was best known for her dramatic roles in silent films. She appeared in 63 silent films and 56 talking pictures over the course of her career. As famous for her revealing costumes as for her dramatic skills, she became a star in such exotic fare as the Queen of Sheba in 1921, in which she wore nothing above the waist except a string of beads. 
<laughs> that's a uh, <laughs> that's unfortunately it's a, it's a bit of a lost film. There's only a small portion of the film that still exists, but there are some stills and publicity stills that uh, that exist that show her in these outfits. And yeah, that's uh, for 1920. It's indeed it's pretty very risque, risque. Yeah, but it is worth mentioning that she's quite a bit older in the movie that we watched today. But oh yeah, absolutely. in these older ones, she is really a bombshell. Yeah, no, she was a beautiful woman. But yes, she's 20 years older by the time we get the misbehaving uh, husbands here. She also starred in Chu Chen Chow, made in 23, and released by MGM in the U.S. in 25. Yeah, this was funny. She was reported to have said that a director is the only man besides your husband who can tell you how much of your clothes to take off. She was also seen in less revealing films like uh, Nomads of the North in 1920 with Lon Chaney and in Hollywood with Potash and Paramuter in 1924, which was produced by Samuel Goldwyn. Oddly enough, many parts later in her career were uncredited roles. Misbehaving Husbands was actually one of her last credited parts, even though she kept working for years after as a character actor. Her last role was a small, uncredited uh, part in the crowd scene in 1964's My Fair Lady. Mm-hmm. I thought that was really interesting. That I mean, she had this really great career early on with, you know, name up in lights kind of thing, and then mm-hmm. in the end, it's just whatever part, and you know, no credit, just probably working for scale. Uh, mm-hmm. Very interesting. Yeah, it is. It makes me want to go back and watch that scene in My Fair Lady, though, to see if I can find her. <laughs> Spotter. Yeah, I wonder. Yeah. yeah, I wonder how much uh, your appearance changed from you know in tw- another twenty years. I yeah, mean, twenty-four years or something like that. Yeah, so we go from Queen of Sheba, then twenty years later to Misbehaving Husbands. Twenty years later, that would be an interesting side by side by side comparison. Well, I guess we could uh, get into Misbehaving Husbands a little bit. You ready to go? I am. All right. Well, it's breakfast at the butler's. Effie is at the table waiting for her husband, and she suggests to uh, their butler, which I think is funny that the butlers have a butler, (laughs) uh, Memphis is his name, that he should probably call Henry down, to which he replies that he's done so twice already. I do like him. I get a kick out of this guy and i like you know he sometimes i have to call him three times i think tomorrow i'll just start with the third time and <laughs> skip the other Save two the other two yeah <laughs> well henry does show up he's got his hat on and everything he kisses his wife goodbye and starts to leave effie calls him back to remind him that he hasn't even eaten yet henry says that he's in such a hurry he's ahead of himself <laughs> henry butler apparently owns butler's department store and he's reading over his store's ad in the paper. His wife notices in another section of the paper that a friend of theirs uh, has gotten a divorce. Well, what is that? Grace Norman got a divorce from Jack. I picture in the paper. Mm, she photographs well. Wish I photographed as well. Mm, that's too bad. They could really have made a success of it if they tried. Don't you think so, dear? Henry, did you hear what I said? What did you say, Dad? I said Grace Norman has got her divorce from Jack. Oh, that's too bad. Who? Grace Norman. What about her? She got her divorce from Jack. My, my. Well, for goodness sakes, they seem such a happy couple to me. Effie asks Henry if he knows what day it is. Well, he knows it's the 6th, and it's the day before their big annual sale. Uh, (laughs) But what he doesn't remember is that it is apparently their anniversary. 
Well, we cut to Grace Norman, the divorcee, and she is telling someone on the phone how wonderful it is being divorced. <laughs> uh, and also doing so with horrible phone acting. Yeah. Maybe. This, uh, yeah. We've seen some bad phone acting. This is terrible phone acting. I'm pretty sure the person on the other end of the line is the fastest talker ever. Apparently. She does not pause. <laughs> not at all. The doorbell buzzes and Effie stops by for a visit. Grace here finishes her call, making sure to lambast all men for <laughs> before she hangs up. They're all awful liars. Grace turns her not mine. <laughs> yes, yeah, exactly. Grace turns her attention to Effie and begins to spread her bitter poison. Oh my goodness. <laughs> That's a very accurate description of this part. <laughs> I believe so too. So this is your twentieth anniversary. Congratulations. I suppose Henry is beaming. Well, as a matter of fact, he forgot it. Effie, no. That's just the way my Jack started. I'd look into it. Well, there's nothing to look into. He simply forgot it. He doesn't forget the date he's to leave on his fishing trips, and he didn't forget the day he was to leave for his lodge convention in New York. But he did forget to come home on the day you expected him. But business kept him off the convention was over. <laughs> That's what he said. Someday you'll get your eyes open. Men are all alike. Liars. Cheats. I know. But my Henry isn't like other men. Oh, he's different. <laughs> That's exactly the way I used to feel about Jack. Then came the awakening. Oh, don't get the idea that I'm bitter. Not at all. Why, Jack and I are the best of friends. The door buzzes again, and we meet Grace's attorney, Mr. Wayne. Uh, Gilbert Wayne, I think, is the name he goes by. Mm -hmm. Everyone is introduced, and he delivers the final check from Grace's former husband. He Which leaves. she promptly shows all around. Yeah, yeah. Not too <laughs> bad, is, eh? Yeah, this is not a very classy woman. No, no. Uh, but I love this where he, you know, she says, oh, yeah, it's all great. And he says, oh, yeah, and you'll remember that you're supposed to pay my part of the attorney's fees. Yeah. And she goes, oh, oh, uh. <laughs> so apparently that check isn't quite as much as she was thinking it was. Yeah, exactly. There's like a big chunk of that coming out for paying his fees. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> He leaves, and Grace asks if she can bring along Mr. Wayne to the anniversary party tonight. Effie doesn't mind, and to make a place and to make a place card asks how to spell his name. And I like they do this a couple times in this film, and I do like the way they kind of do that transition, um, transition mm -hmm. from one scene to another. Yeah, because this cleverly cuts to uh, the maid Opal spelling out the name uh, per Effie's direction back at the house as mm -hmm. the as. Uh, Opal, Effie, and Memphis go about setting the table and decorating. So, yeah, I thought that was uh, pretty clever. Yes, you'll get that a couple times where somebody will ask a question and then it'll cut to the person they're talking about answering the question but in a different context of conversation. Yeah, I think they do the same thing. Actually, when they cut from the breakfast table to uh, Grace on the telephone, <laughs> yes. they, do, they do that then too, but I don't remember the exact transition, but... Oh, uh, she said. If he says, "Well, at least Grace will never have to worry about her husband forgetting her anniversary again." Oh, right. And Grace says, "No, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm so happy. I'm divorced now." Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, Opal mentions that she is glad this guy is coming. Otherwise, there would have been 13 people at the table, and that is bad luck. Very bad luck. Effie brushes that superstitious nonsense off and leaves to get ready. Walking under the ladder Memphis is using to hang streamers. 
I'm surprised they don't own a black cat. Seriously. <laughs> <laughs> and I do. I, I love it. Opal sees her. She's like, oh, Mrs. Butler. And so she, Effie comes back into the room <laughs> under the ladder the again. <laughs> you done walked under a ladder twice. <laughs> <laughs> well, at Butler's department store, Henry is going over some paperwork and spots some issue or another. He calls up the company operator. Uh, get me a bit of Johnson Hosiery Department. I want to speak. Uh, uh, huh? I want to. Uh, gone home? What did you do? Take the afternoon off? I. No, seven o'clock? Oh, no, no, no. This, it can't be seven o'clock this time of the day. Can't be. Oh, it is seven o'clock this time of the day. Goodness sake. Well, what are you doing here? Why don't you go home? Now realizing how late it is, Henry tries to leave, but is caught by the stores. I. I think he's credited as like the floor walker but he's kind of the store window dresser or whoever you want to i don't know what the proper term would be yeah um, but he takes care of all the displays yeah, apparently display designer today i suppose yeah i suppose so you get a real clear idea of who exactly henry henry is throughout this he didn't know what time it is he's late for dinner again he goes to leave but he forgets his hat he's got to go back in for it he's about to walk out the door and then he gets walked right back in the door and puts his hat right down to start talking to this guy i mean he has no idea which way is up exactly well this guy here uh i think that his name's like mr ghibli he, he he wants HB's opinion on some outfits that a few of the living mannequins will be modeling the next day. So he's got three women with him, each with a different outfit on. He wants his opinion, that sort of thing. Uh, there was, the, of course, the, like, what do you think of this? I don't like it. Um, yeah, <laughs> I don't like it. Ghibli's like, well, what do you think about the the, sho- the way the shoulders fit? Well, they look fine to me. Well, I don't like them. Okay. Well, I don't like them. Yeah, and he's Everything. like, but I know you're going to like this beautiful cocktail dress. And then that's where I Henry's like, like it. I don't like it. <laughs> Ghibli also wants him to look at the window display and the two head down to take a look. Once there, Henry asks for some subtle changes that really seem to annoy Mr. Ghibli. Uh, even the he goes Henry goes to just move the hand a little bit and give me hey it's my department you want to change you tell me what cracks <laughs> me up about this is he's actually right about everything he says you know he he moves the mannequins he wants to move the mannequin's hand to make her look more welcoming rather than you know pointy right and then he wants to angle the bed so that people walking by the window can see the the dressings on the bed not just the footboard you know right. and he wants to draw attention to the bed by moving the mannequin over onto it but no no the window dresser he just disagrees with all of it no he's totally wrong but the window <laughs> dresser does make a point of uh mentioning that he's got the two wax man named Hetty mm-hmm. and Carol. Carol, there's yes. a there's a resemblance between them, and there actually is. Oh yeah, absolutely. I, I got it, and I loved uh, Henry where he's like, "Oh, and this one doesn't. This one's named Hetty. Don't you think there's a resemblance?" He's like, "Oh yes, I loved her in uh, uh, oh uh, Gone with the Wind. That was Vivian Lee. <laughs> oh, that actually got an out loud laugh out of my husband. <laughs> yeah, it was fantastic. Well, two of the uh, the live models show back up, having changed the different dresses, and Henry gives them a look over. Outside, while this is going on, a couple who are apparently friends of the uh, butlers, and whose uh, husband works at the bank next door. They pull up in the car as the uh, man goes inside the uh, the bank to take care of some last-minute business. The wife in the car notices the silhouette of Henry and the model. 
So she gets out of the car and then she starts spying from under the, the window shade and sees Henry posing the real woman on the bed because he's trying to, c- to convince Ghibli that Carol, the other wax mo- mannequin, would look better on the bed than sitting on the uh, the chair that she's, she's on. Yeah. Well, Ghibli, of course, does not agree with any of it, and he and the girls leave. So, yes, and outside, of course, the, the man is, or I'm sorry, the woman still peeking at the whole thing, doesn't quite understand what's going on. She <laughs> tells her husband, uh, Wilbur, I think his name is, uh, and he takes a peek as well, and he's like, well, you're good friends with Effie, right? Yes. Then you won't say a word, and they drive off. <laughs> <laughs> I love his comment, too, when he looks under and he sees uh, Henry arranging the woman on the bed, and he says, I guess I've been in the wrong business all these years. <laughs> <laughs> 20 years. <laughs> yeah. Well, Henry, inside, decides to move Carol anyway. And as he picks her up, he gets his foot caught up in a, a phone cord while carrying her. He falls and drops her, giving Carol a large cut on her face. Back at the house, many of the guests have arrived for Henry's surprise anniversary party, including the couple from earlier, Clara and Wilbur. Clara tries to sort of hint at what she thinks Henry's uh, are Henry's shenanigans, but Wilbur, uh, quote-unquote, accidentally <laughs> steps on her foot <laughs> to stop her and uh, pulls her into the living room. I, lo- I love this scene. It's so cute, and this is... This is, bear in mind, I'm a kid that read Miss Manners in high school for fun. <laughs> but, but Effie is just, she's such the, she's just a perfect wife. And, we, you know, earlier when Grace is, you know, bad-mouthing men, she says, well, not my Henry. Mm-hmm. You know, she's just this, just this, you know, elegant, sweet lady that doesn't mind she's put on a few pounds, but she just goes from guest to guest and is so gracious and makes sure she talks to everybody and keeps them mm-hmm. all included. I mean, this is the iconic perfect wife she just is wonderful i love everything she is about uh, what was the uh the, there's a uh, a trio looking at like a photo album mm-hmm. uh, on the cast she's like what are you looking at all these old pictures of you and henry's like oh have you gotten to our trip to niagara falls <laughs> wait till you see the hat i was wearing you'll die <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's so funny <laughs> she is brilliant but she is she's and she's so sweet there's nothing about her that is you know sarcastic or suspicious she's just this this what's the word i want <laughs> the paragon she's just the paragon of an ideal wife yeah there you go Perfect. after 20 years of marriage well back to the store while henry scrambles with a repair kit or a makeup kit to try to fix carol uh, more guests arrive at the home grace and mr wayne show up and inside the living room, Clara starts to spread what she thinks she saw at uh, at the store to another guest. And that starts the gossip going throughout the party. Yeah, Clara is a... I don't like Clara. Uh, well, and I don't know if you picked it up, but Clara is who uh, Grace is talking to on the phone when we first meet Grace. Oh, good point. And she says, oh, once you get on the phone with Clara, you can't get off the phone yeah. with her. <laughs> she just keeps going and going. So we yeah. already know she's a bit of a gossip. Yeah, good point. Good point. Oh, and there what was the one point at the Effie comes up and she actually compliments Clara on the dress oh, she's wearing. Yes. Oh, that dress looks is, is fantastic and it's so slimming. Oh, she's like, oh, thank and then she says, haven't you put on a little weight? Yeah. Like, and again, <laughs> here's Effie being so gracious. Oh, I don't mind. And Henry likes it. So right. that's all that matters. <laughs> yeah, like that's like a nice way to deflecting what is effectively a backhanded compliment. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, there's a, there's that implication of, oh, you better watch your weight. You know, you yeah. don't want to let him slip through your fingers. 
which right. of course is a statement that every woman wants to strangle every other woman for everything. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, Effie goes and tries to call to the store, but uh, not getting any answer. She actually overhears Clara telling another woman her story. Memphis comes in and, see, and asks if she's okay, as she, she looks like she's seen a ghost. And she tries to shake off what she heard and asks Memphis to take the car and drive to the store to see if Henry's still there. So Memphis gets to the store just in time to see Henry uh, just down the street carrying Carol, Carol to his car to take her to uh, Max's Waxworks to get her repaired. <laughs> As Henry drives by, Memphis sees what he thinks is a dead woman's face pressed against the <laughs> rear side window. Another couple standing on the street see it as well, and they call the police. Start for a black sedan. License in B column. 16B988. 16B988. Body of dead woman reported in back seat of car. Man is dangerous. May be armed. That is all. Well, Henry drops off Carol at Max's waxwork. <laughs> Max says he'll have Carol fixed up and in the store window by morning. So Henry thanks him and says he can finally go home and eat his dinner. To which Max points out, it's 9.30. <laughs> a little I, late. Yeah, like Henry. Bedtime. What's Effie going to say? <laughs> <laughs> He's so cute. Back at the party, everyone finally sits down to eat. Meanwhile, Henry has been picked up by the police, and he's being questioned. Now look at fresh guy. What did you do with the blonde woman you had in your car? I didn't have a woman in my car. You didn't, eh? No. We found these in the back seat of your car. How do you alibi that? Oh, oh, I know. They must have fallen off a carol when I carried out of the car. I thought you said you didn't have a woman in the car with you. I didn't. Well, then, who's this Carol? She's a model. I suppose a model ain't a woman. Now we're getting somewhere. Where did you hide her? I didn't hide her. I took her down to Max to get her fixed up. Fixed up? Yeah, Max said he'd fix her up so that Mr. Sibley wouldn't know about the accident. Accident? Uh. Sibley, Matt, wait a minute. Now let's get started right from the beginning. Well, to begin with, Mr. Sibley wouldn't let me touch her. So there's another man in the case. Jealous, eh? No, but he thinks a lot of it, too. This guy, Sibley, and you were goofy over the same blonde. You take her away from him and, uh... No, no, no. No, you see, it was like this. He left me alone with her. And after he'd gone, I picked Carol up and I was taking her across the room to the bed. I want to lay her down there. But going over there, I tripped and she fell to the floor. And, and when she fell, she must have hit her head on the bed. Yeah. And, go on. Yeah, I'll go on. Yeah. So I turned her over, see? And when I did, I noticed a big gash in her head. And I knew that if Sibley came the next morning and found that big gash in her head, he'd be furious. But I know Sibley. Huh. So what I do? I pick her up and take her over to Max to get her fixed up. And I was hurrying home to dinner when an officer stopped me. Well, of all the cold-blooded guys that I ever met... <laughs> Oh, and in that in that clip, they mentions that they they have some evidence or something. What they actually have is a corsage and a single shoe. Yes, <laughs> that fell off a of Carol. 
I love you. I love you. Even at one point, he says, "Oh, she's a model." Yeah. <laughs> well, technically, yes, she is. Yeah, yeah. I keep saying mannequin, but I'm not sure the term mannequin was used at all at this I, time. It, it they, were, they were well, models, she's a wax or they were model. Yeah, yeah, wax model or wax works. Uh, yeah, there was no such thing as like mannequin yet. Well, another officer happens to bring in Memphis, who apparently crashed the car into a fountain after, uh, as he puts it, has the shock of his life. <laughs> he just he was he had a shock and he lost control of the car. And the fountain just jumped up in front of him. <laughs> Henry tells the chief that he just needs to go down to Max's waxworks and he can see Carol for himself. Well, the chief locks him and Memphis up so he can think and figure this all out. At the butler's, the party is over, and Effie has seen everyone out. And again, what a what a host! I mean, her husband is missing. You'd think at this, at some point, someone might suggest calling the police. <laughs> but no, not in this era. You never let your ruffles, your feathers get ruffled. You have apparently to call not. All times, and she sent Memphis off. Memphis will take care of it. That's true, but she just maintains. She is just the perfect host throughout she the night, really despite is. of she everything. She doesn't let her guests be upset by her husband's absence. Exactly. As they're leaving, Clara says that she's sure Henry will have a good excuse. Or at least she hopes so. <laughs> Grace and Mr. Wayne say their goodbyes as well. Uh, well. Wayne says a very polite goodbye and says he was looking forward to meeting Henry, but he's sure he'll see him soon. To which Grace <laughs> asks, in court? Oh, God, Grace. Grace is dreadful. Oh, oh she is so awful. awful. She is so, she's one of these people, I mean, now that she's gotten divorced, she's like, oh, everyone should get a divorce. Yes, she wants everybody to be miserable. Well, Henry is finally released from the police after the confusion is cleared up. And apparently the uh, the chief or the, some officer has actually been to Max and now figures everything out. <laughs> and they release he and Memphis. Yeah, like that. Next time you're talking about a waxwork, say a waxwork. <laughs> <laughs> Do it when I'm not working. <laughs> well, when they get home. Uh, I love this. They get to the door. Henry goes about unlocking the door, and Memphis takes his shoes off. Yep. He's like, what are you doing? He's like, the less noise I make now, the less noise there might be later. <laughs> oh, good point. <laughs> yeah. Well, they go in, and Henry sees the table. that the, you know, the dishes and the decorations are still all over the dining room table. And he asks what that was all about. Memphis tells him that was his surprise anniversary party. Well, Memphis wishes Henry luck and heads to his own room, where his wife, Opal, is waiting for him with a rolling pin. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the ensuing ruckus and yelling wakes Effie, and she watches Henry trying to sneak up the stairs. She hides herself down the hall and watches as he hides Carol's shoe and corsage, which then she grabs when his back is turned. Why all the sneaking? I didn't want to wake up my wife. She... Hello, Effie, dear. Hello, Effie. I... I bet she thinks something's wrong. Well, the next day, Effie has taken the shoe and flower to Grace's. Play a clip. <laughs> of all the great places to take it. Yeah. <laughs> Whoever the gal is, she certainly has a dainty foot. What are you going to do about it? Well, I... I don't know. Nothing like this has ever happened before. How do you know it hasn't? Just because you didn't catch him doesn't say it didn't happen. Well, I have... Now, listen, Snow White, all men are cheaters at heart. Now, don't say, my Henry's different, because he isn't. Well, I... I, I know it seems a little... A little? 
What does it take to convince you? Both shoes? With a blonde in them? Now, you just let me handle this and be thankful you had your eyes open while you're still young. If you're calling Henry, I don't want to talk to him. That's the spirit, but I'm not calling Henry. Hello, Mr. Wayne, please. Oh, is that you? Hello, Gil. Well, I've got another client for you. Uh-huh. Mrs. Butler. I love Effie's face here. She's just so, wait, what? Yeah. My, my divorce, <laughs> what? It never crossed her mind. Not at all. Well, at Henry's office, Mr. Wayne stops in to discuss Henry's wife's divorce, which comes as a big surprise to Henry. <laughs> yeah. Henry calls home. Uh, Opal answers and tells Henry that Mrs. Butler said to tell him that she isn't home. <laughs> <laughs> and I tell you what, Langdon here is just, he's a master at the facial expression. Yes. Uh, you could see where he would be incredibly funny in a silent picture yeah and he's uh, he's super it's funny there's a lot of there are a lot of scenes in this film where he is acting off himself Mm -hmm. where there's not really anybody else in frame and his reactions and his the process that he goes through that you can read his mind's process on his face is just hilarious yeah exactly well i think when opal says um Oh, she says to tell you that she is in home. You see, like the, the one it eye kind of. Takes a minute. Yeah, <laughs> tick, you see tick, one ding. eye. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like what? <laughs> well, Henry hangs up and then calls his secretary and tells her to contact his attorney. And this is another thing where I was telling that I just love the way he his mannerisms, mannerisms, and everything. Mm-hmm. He's telling. He calls the secretary and he says, "Could you?" Call my attorney and tell him to get over here right away. And when he's saying it, he's he's motioning with his hand, mm-hmm. as if someone was in the room to come closer. And obviously, <laughs> the attorney can't see it, the secretary can't see it, but it just in his head, you yeah, someone needs to come here. I just I love it. It just seems it seems so fun and so natural, especially mm-hmm. for this character as he's been kind of portrayed and <laughs> yeah. built up to us. He's always a little absent-minded and not mm-hmm. quite all where he is at the moment. Exactly. Well, later at the Butler home, the two lawyers are hashing out the details, and it's determined that Henry will be fighting the divorce. Wayne suggests that Effie move out, but she doesn't want to leave, not not leave all her beautiful things. Yeah, she's so cute. And I wonder about her motivation in this moment. Oh, oh, I know. I wouldn't <laughs> want to leave. No, oh, I... I couldn't do that. No. Yeah. yeah. Everything that happens, you you can tell on both Effie and he- and Henry. Everything that happens is the first time it's ever occurred to him that any of this could happen. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, Henry won't move out either. So the two lawyers decide that they each get a neutral third party as a witness that the two are living apart. Mr. Kimball and I will take care of the details. If you will just sit down and be quiet. Be quiet? In my own home? About my own divorce? Well, this is a fine state of affairs. I can't open my mouth in my own home. Well, let me tell you something. I'm a free American citizen. I pay taxes, and I have a right to free speech, liberty, and and pursuit of happiness, and all that stuff. And I can't talk, eh? And you stand there and tell me to get out of my own home and leave behind all the things I paid for. I paid for this, and this, and this, and that. And that, and that, and this here, and that, and that. I didn't know your husband had such a violent temper. Neither did I. I shall take steps to protect you from any further outburst. Oh, thank you. I, I think I'll go to my room. 
Effie's witness is her niece, Jane Forbes. Effie explains what is going on and why. While unpacking, Jane finds some of Henry's clothes that hadn't been moved yet. Uh, so the woman takes him across the hall where uh, Effie has moved to, <laughs> moved Henry. And that's where we meet Henry's witness, Bob Grant. Now, unless I miss something, we have no idea where Bob Grant... I, I, I guess he's just a friend or acquaintance of, of Henry's somehow. He's a mail-order model. (laughs) He's a mail-order model working his way through to law school. (laughs) Maybe that's it. Law school. (laughs) Yeah, this guy is, I mean, you know, you look up the word. Very Rock Hudson. Oh, yeah. You look look up chiseled chin, and there's a picture of this guy. (laughs) He actually did play uh, Dick Tracy. He was very famous for playing Dick Tracy later on. Yeah, he did. How did I know that? Or no, prior to this, I think he did a bunch of films where he was Dick Tracy. And that totally makes sense. Yeah. Oh, he would be perfect for the the part, I think, too. Yes. Oh, you must be Uncle Henry's keeper. Something like that. Well, I'm on the other side of the fence. So that sort of makes us enemies. Does it? Well, can't be compromised and be sort of friendly enemies. Why not? I never quarrel with lawyers. Hey, how did you know I was interested in law? Purely elementary, Watson. For one thing, you're wearing a Phi Beta Kappa key, and you use such words as compromise and trespass. Marvelous. Such deduction, Sherlock. But I still have some hurdles to jump before I become a full-fledged lawyer. Simple little things like passing my bar exams and finding some clients. And when you do hang out your shingle, what are you going in for? Divorce cases? Uh-huh. Not me. I think divorce is, well, sort of tragic. I'd rather be the kind of a lawyer who keeps couples together. Take this case, Britton. It's all wrong. It just doesn't add up. Gee, I'm glad to hear you say that. That's the way I feel. Well, the two of them, Jane and Bob, they immediately hit it off. And they also both believe that something just seems wrong about this whole Effie and Henry getting a divorce. They think there must be something more going on. Well, downstairs, we meet Gooch Mulligan. M- excuse me, Gooch Mull- Mulligan. I can't say his name. That, so trying to say Mulligan after Gooch. <laughs> Gooch Mulligan. Gooch Mulligan arrives. He's a private detective and bodyguard who's been hired by Mr. Wayne to keep an eye on Henry to make sure he doesn't get violent again. <laughs> well, Henry comes home, uh, but forgetting his keys, knocks on the door. Well, Gooch answers, which confuses Henry, uh, thinking he's got the wrong house. When he realizes he does have the right house, he, he comes in. Uh, again, you know, standard. I should have given the, given the standard disclaimer when we're trying to talk about a comedy. Uh, some silliness ensues between yeah. Henry and Gooch. <laughs> some funny silliness. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, the way this is done, I, like, I almost don't want to try and explain it. But the way it's done is like... It's almost like sleight of hand. It, I guess it is sleight of hand. You don't kind really is, know what's yeah. going on until it's happened. <laughs> right. Yeah, I have a little bit of a description here, but you know what? It doesn't matter, so I'm just going to skip it. <laughs> <laughs> Suffice it to say, the gun goes off and Henry goes running. <laughs> yeah, pretty much, yeah. Fill in, watch the film to fill in the gap. <laughs> Well, we next see Mr. Wayne, and he's talking with a woman we haven't seen before, but he is apparently very well acquainted with. Oh, now don't tell me you're going to waste another perfectly good evening with some old... Waste another evening? Do you know of any better way of getting some easy dough? And big dough, too. You may get that fur coat and a diamond necklace. And uh, what about the honeymoon in Hawaii? Oh, sure, sure. Well, just be patient, honey. 
You're not giving me the runaround, are you, Gil? Runaround? Why, hey, whatever put such an idea into your pretty head? Oh, I don't know. It's just that you're mixed up with so many women all the time. Look, in the divorce racket, the smart guy always represents the woman. That's where the big dough is. She gets the cash settlement. And the bigger the settlement, the easier it is to get a good-sized chunk of it, see? Come on, let's have a little smile. Yeah. That's more like it. <laughs> Look, I want you to come along with me tonight. If the old girl has weakened and won't sign, I may need your help. Okay. At least I'll get a smell of an idea, Ranger. Now we have an idea that Mr. Wayne may not be quite the honest lawyer that he's been made out to be so far. It's funny. So Nan is the lady that we meet here. And she, I I don't know much about the actress, but she, to me, I would love to see an entire movie about this character. She seems phenomenal. <laughs> she for a, for a bit part in a movie. I don't know what it is about her. I suppose you know in Hollywood they'd say she's got it. Right. But the, just the the combination of her voice and the way she reacts to things. She's just, she's just fantastic to watch. Oh, interesting. I I did not get any kind of real impression or anything off of oh, her. Go like back that. and watch it's, her again. No, I'm I, 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 okay. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because it's a real standard kind of character. The 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 girl that's not really a bad girl, but is kind of in with a not so great guy. Mm-hmm. But but for some reason, throughout the whole thing, she seems so natural in her responses that I I just I I loved I actually enjoyed her far more than I liked Jane. Wow, interesting. Okay. Well, later on at the Butlers, it looks as though the divorce is off. Effie, Henry, Bob, and Jane are all sitting at the table playing cards, and everything seems great between them. Mr. Wayne congratulates them for working everything out. Outside, the woman from earlier is waiting in the car. She gets out and heads to the door. And I missed it the first time I saw it, but there's a little interchange between them, or a little exchange between them in the car before he goes inside, and he says, when I give you the cue with the watch, you come in. Oh, I and, missed that. Yeah, and I, you know, it, it it's so quick and subtle that if you're not really paying attention, you will miss it. But he does ask him for the time, and he goes over kind of by the window and starts fiddling with his watch, and she gets out and heads to the door. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I completely missed that. Yeah, there's a couple instances in this film where there's these, these really quick cuts, like even mm-hmm. um, Henry when he's trying to fix Carol with the makeup. I mean, yes. It's literally less than like 30 seconds. Mm-hmm. It's almost like if you blink, you miss it kind of yes. thing. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Certainly if you get distracted, you'll miss it. Yeah. Yeah. You look down to write notes, perhaps. Maybe yeah, yes, why. exactly. <laughs> well, this woman comes to the door and introduces herself to Memphis as Evelyn, and she asks for Mr. Butler. Henry goes to see her. Henry, you old darling. What was the idea of going home so early the other night? Well, the party was just getting hot. Why, Evelyn, you got me mistaken for somebody else. I don't know you. You don't know me? No. Why, Henry Butler. <laughs> that is a good one. You don't know me. Oh, why, Lemmy Pie. And by the way, where's my shoe? What was the idea of running away with it in the first place, you cute little dickens, you? Shoe? Sure, I'm running away with it. Well, I don't know what oh, you're talking about. I don't... Henry... Oh, sorry. I didn't mean to get you in trouble. Uh, just give me my shoe and I'll run along. I tell you, I haven't got your shoe. You've got your shoes. Oh, I got that's right. Have it your own way. But get this playboy. The next time, don't carry a joke so far. Good night. 
this is another part where Effie and Henry are just, they're just so, like, real just unassuming and sweet and innocent. And and I love it. Like, they set him up perfectly because yeah. they say, Miss, there's a lady named Evelyn here to see her, to see you. And he, go, he goes, I, I don't know any Evelyn. Well, of course, a guy who's guilty is going to say, I don't know anybody by that name. <laughs> right. They set him up perfectly. Well, everyone overhears everything that goes on between uh, this this woman and Henry, and they see everything, too, because they get up and come to the hall. And Effie, who now has asked for the divorce papers back for Mr. Wayne, and she immediately signs. Effie runs off to her room, and Henry chases after to try and talk to her. <laughs> That's the worst little moment. He goes, Evelyn, I mean Effie! Oh, that hurt. Oh, <laughs> so I cringed. Poor oh. guy. <laughs> Well, the two, those two run off, leaving Mr. Wayne, Jane, and Bob. You know, things like that depress me. Well, good night. And actually, at this point, this is the 42-minute mark with just over 15 minutes to go. So, yeah, as, as you may expect, I'm going to end the synopsis here. <laughs> and we've talked, I mean, we've kind of mentioned a lot of stuff that we like about the film just as we're kind of going through the synopsis. Uh, the, the characters in this film... At least the main characters, uh, Effie and Henry, are are just phenomenal to watch. Mm-hmm. I mean, you almost kind of wish this was like a TV series so you could watch more episodes. Yes. <laughs> well, and, and they're people that you really want to hang out with because they're just so, like, sweet and unassuming and they don't take any energy to be around. <laughs> and, and, you know, some of the people in this are just obviously just awful people. But even where you, when you get to Jane and Bob, who appear in the middle of the movie with no background, mm-hmm. no, no hint that they're going to show up. And I was a little bit sad about that. I thought it would be nice to have had at least one of them at the dinner party to kind of, you know. Set them up a little bit. Yeah, kind of introduce to say, them. okay, right. these people exist in their world outside of divorce. Right. So, <laughs> um, but, but even so, they're, I, I would have liked to you know they have their little inner their little exchange with each other where you know they call each other Watson and Holmes and it's real cute and yeah. you get the idea real quickly that Jane is very intelligent and obviously mm-hmm. this guy's really smart and they hit it off real quickly and i'm a little bit sad that you don't get a little bit more background with them because they come in so quickly that you feel like they're characters of convenience rather than part of the plot well even their even their characters seem like they don't realize what's going on when they get pulled in i mean jane Mm -hmm. is actually she's in there she's unpacking her bags and she's like so wait what do you need me for a witness for like yes effie called her up and said why don't you come over and stay yeah (laughs) but then then who's bob who is bob i i want to know who bob is yeah because no idea (laughs) yeah He's just, he's just this, he seems too young to be just like a friend of Henry's. And he's definitely too old to be like a college kid or a nephew. (laughs) Right. Uh, So I don't know where he comes from. He just shows up and he's like, oh, hello. (laughs) I'm telling you, they picked him out of a catalog. (laughs) He is a little bit of an odd character though. Especially when he's, when she's like, oh, do I get to know your name? He's like, oh, follow me. And he goes to the mirror and introduces (laughs) himself to jane in the third person (laughs) which there's there is some precedence for having a person introduce you to another person 
back when we actually had things called manners <laughs> and when we actually had social structure, which we don't have anymore, by the way, guys. No. Uh, you had to, you know, but in the 1800s, you could not introduce yourself to a woman. You had to be introduced to a woman by a mutual acquaintance or by the master of ceremonies for reals. You were not allowed to walk up to a woman and say, hey, my name is John. Right. It was completely offensive. And this is a little bit of a carryover from that. And in a way, it's very okay. charming because of it. Um, and, you know, it's you get a little bit of that humor in there. And they have, they have a shared sense of humor. So you kind of like them. And right away, you buy that they are a good match for each other. Yeah, I but, love the fact that they, they establish that they're both very intelligent people. Yes. I mean, he's... Uh, and, and Jane even even more so than him. Yes. He's like, well, wait a minute. She she made like, oh, you're a long young lawyer. Like, how did you know? Oh, you're yeah. using these big words, you know, this word and that word, and the way you are like, oh, okay, wow. Mm-hmm. And you have these things that you're wearing. Yeah, they do they do a good job of establishing them as a good match. But there's this huge gap of where did he come from? Yeah. Okay, I'll buy that she is their niece. But where did he come from? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it, it just sort of something gets lost somewhere. He's like somewhere, yeah. somewhere on the floor of the uh, studio is the page that yes. introduced Bob. <laughs> yes. I don't know how Effie and Henry. I, I guess it's because they are well-to-do. You know, these big department store owners. They spin in the circle that would have people like. Wilbur and Clara. Wilbur seems okay. Clara yes. is trouble, and Grace is <laughs> Grace, Grace is, is awful. awful. <laughs> she um, really is. I'm sorry we never got to meet her husband because I I got the impression he was a nice guy. <laughs> I would like to know about Jack. Yeah, <laughs> and you know she even says at the beginning, you know, the, what is it? Uh, being gener or not generous, but the opposite. She, she essentially says he's always been very generous. Right. So she gets this big old check cut from him, and she's like, "Oh, we're still great friends." And it's like, probably not, because you're just an awful person. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's unfortunate that these are their friends. Um, yes. Uh, I do like their uh, Memphis and Opal, I think, yes. are great. Uh, they are, unfortunately, they are kind of like stereotypical African-American um, yeah. uh, uh, help. But what I like about in this film, they feel like and they are treated like employees and not yes. as servants. Yes. I mean, they feel comfortable enough to to joke and 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 actually have you know actual discussions with yes. their employers. Mm-hmm. I really like that, and the two yes. are they're just great characters for that little screen time they get. They're a lot of fun to watch. Yes, it's almost like they're they're directed very much in the vein of the era, but they're written well. Yeah, absolutely. Memphis does have that stereotypical. Um, you're a black man in the 40s, so talk this way, uh, yes. <laughs> unfortunately. And, and the facial expressions, there are a number yeah. of... There are yeah. a number of and it's funny, because I didn't really think about it in this way, but if it weren't for the direction of his character specifically, not as much Opal, but definitely his character, then I wouldn't have even thought about what era it was set in. Mm. Sure. It would, I think it would carry over to a modern story very quickly, very easily. 
Yeah, I think so too. But like I said, they they, they were definitely you know employees and not servants. And, yes, oh, I take agree. the yeah take the car. Go see if you can find Henry. They're 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 trusted members of the family. Yeah, and they're yeah. not treated as they're they're unintelligent or anything like that. Except oh, for by not. except for by Gooch, but that's yeah. a different. That's a different <laughs> yeah. character altogether. Yeah. It's part of who he is, and has has nothing to do with Memphis being Memphis. It has more to do with how Gooch treats everybody. I think. exactly. <laughs> Uh, and you apparently, what was her her name? Nan or or Nan, Evelyn? Yes. Have whatever her real name is. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah. You you really enjoyed her, and I did like her. I think I liked her more as we got to find out who yes. exactly she was, and and as it moved on, and yes. we, as things unfold, we'll say yeah. she. I I would love to know more about her because mm-hmm. <laughs> it's interesting. Even though we meet her in the context of of Mister Wayne. Uh, she's not she at first seems like the same caliber of person as him but it becomes apparent she is not so I liked that about her in in the short period of time we even get to know her she there's some development some quick plot development with her so it's pretty interesting I think yeah I think and I just the her mannerisms and her reactions are very uh what's the word I want endearing right. not endearing that's the wrong word it makes it sound like she's cute captivating there you go that's good and you've i think you've described um uh betty blythe here is uh, is effie as as well as anyone she is just fantastic she is just very upstanding and very nice and sweet and kind and just the perfect hostess and yeah you just you you just hope to be invited to her dinner party. She's she's the quintessential forties housewife. <laughs> <laughs> Perhaps that's what she is. Uh, I have to admit, when um, I was doing some research, kind of before watching the, the the film, and I see that oh, it's a vaudeville comedian who was really popular in the silent era. I'm thinking, mm, mm, slapstick, okay. slapstick. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, so I mean, we've had some. Um, bad run-ins with that type of thing with some of our mm-hmm. previous films. The first thing that came to mind was uh, that Just Imagine with um, L. Brindle, where the film was kind of written around his shtick and mm-hmm. it was so painful. His whole, oh, the good old days or whatever he kept yeah. going. Oh, and it was, it, he, he would do it like a dozen times in the film and it was yes. so annoying. But then I think... Um, Langdon here reminds me a little bit more of Arthur Askey, who we saw mm-hmm. in Backroom Boy. Yes. Who was more of a, a British uh, comedian. But it wasn't so much that it, they were trying to write around his, his routine. It was just, here's a, here's a thing and here's a script and it's funny and we think you could do this humor. Yeah, and he has this character that he's developed that works well with the story. Or, exactly. Or is developed for the story, maybe even. Where, mm-hmm. I, it, intentionally, he's this very absent-minded guy where this stuff just keeps happening to him, partly because he's just not conscious of his surroundings. But you're not at any point, you don't at any point feel like he's doing a routine that's been shoved into the middle of the movie. Right, exactly. And it, it just... Like you, well, yeah. I was just going to repeat everything you said. <laughs> oh, thanks. I'll take that as a compliment. <laughs> there's a moment in it where there's another person on screen with him, and I know you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. And he's kind of going off doing his thing, and the other person on screen is almost laughing at his antics. And it's this weird moment where you're, if you know who Langdon is, and if you know his background, it it 
feels a bit like a vaudeville act, but in the context of the story, it really works because he's completely tanked. Oh, yes, yes, the guy out on the street. Yeah, yeah, and he's just talking to this guy, and the guy is almost cracking up. But having been in situations where I've been talking to people who are completely tanked, they Mm -hmm. are funny sometimes. Oh, yeah, it is. And and it's a funny scene, and you're thinking, if that was you, if that was just any guy on the street, he's going to laugh at this this guy. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, so it really works. So you, you feel like the humor that's coming off this this stranger on the street is is real yes. and it may be because yeah. he, he oh, is know, being I, no i genuinely think he could not keep a straight face <laughs> right. in that scene he was probably just supposed to stand there and not react and he probably couldn't help it yeah i don't think he has any lines or anything <laughs> no, it doesn't, no, he, no doesn't even make any not noise nope but yeah but it, it, it's brilliant and <laughs> i do love i do love harry langdon's drunk acting yeah, <laughs> it's just and I, I, if he did it much in this movie, it would be it could be quickly overdone. But it's it's appropriate to the story. Yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. This was a fun one. I mean, this was one of these ones where, considering the, the you know the last few that we've watched have been sort of like oh we get attracted by the uh, by the title and then we've yeah. been disappointed <laughs> by the film. Yeah. This one, the title really doesn't grab me. No, but the synopsis. You read a little bit of the synopsis. You're like, oh, okay. This it sounds like a big farce. It, you know, this it, it either could be really bad or this could be really funny. Mm-hmm. And I'm very happy that it's the latter. I I really mm-hmm. thoroughly enjoyed this film. And again, this is one of those films where I watched it once, liked it, did my notes, and then I went, okay, I'm going to stop the synopsis here, and now I'm going to finish the movie. Just finish what I did the same thing. <laughs> It's interesting for for a what's essentially a one hour long movie. You have a lot of pretty major characters in it. Yeah, um, oh, it's a busy cast. Yeah. Oh yeah, I mean you've got over a half dozen at least, and you know, so so it's it's quickly paced and it has to be because of the volume of characters in it, but it doesn't feel rushed. It, with the with the glaring exception of Bob who appears out of nowhere, <laughs> yes. it doesn't feel rushed. Yeah, there's always Bob. <laughs> and then there's Bob. Yes. Literally. That might and, there's, be, there's, that, and then there's Bob. That might be what we call people from now on when they just show up in a movie for no good reason. Oh, and then we have Bob. Yep. And this is Bob Grant. Hello, Bob. Yes. <laughs> and I was very surprised for 1940, you know, the uh, the quality of print that I that we have uh, that is is pretty good. I mean, there's a couple places where the audio is a little scratchy. Um, but nothing that really takes away. Uh, you can understand everything. There's um, some odd cuts here and there. Not like entire scenes are missing, but just like within the scene, like maybe the like film had to be the film had to yes. be spliced, and it's just a frame or two. Um, there, I had a little bit of sound trouble. I listened. I listened. I watched a few different versions to okay. just see if I could get better sound, particularly early on when we first meet Grace. It's it's so bad you almost can't understand what she's saying at one point, but it does clear up pretty quickly and right. it, the the film is very watchable. Yeah, oh absolutely. And and that, and it's and it's fantastic. This would be a fun one. Talk about the film you you would like to see someone find the original film master or something and be able to remaster <laughs> and, and, and put it out on Blu ray or something. <laughs> yes. Strangely this, enough, this is this is a film that is like I would love to have a nice clean copy on like physical media. 
that I could yes. watch every now and again. Yeah, I agree. It's one. It's again one of those that the characters in it are they just don't require a lot of energy to hang out with. You right. can relax and watch it. It's got some good funny parts, but you really kind of root for the characters. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I think thumbs up all around. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I guess we should probably put official numbers on it. Oh, I guess so. We've done that I, with every other one. We might as well. This we one might too. as well. <laughs> um, but because of everything we've said, I well, it's kind of one of these things. Do you want to rate it? If you rate it on just how important is it that you see this film? You know, well, frankly, none of these films necessarily have to be rated that high <laughs> under that. Very few. Yeah, but on this one, I'm. I really want to just go ahead and rain, say like a, I, think. <laughs> so I was thinking rain you should see rain <laughs> yeah uh no i would give this one an easy four it's an easy watch it's a fun watch and just why not it just go ahead and watch it and have a great time with it so yeah absolutely i would give it a solid four that's interesting so <laughs> um i absolutely appreciate your rating <laughs> However, yeah. you guys are, I'm about to shock the socks out, out of all of you. I would give it a three. Okay. Um, I, it's, I, for me to rate a romantic comedy lower than Christopher, if this is the first time you're listening, <laughs> this is like making history, essentially. It may be. <laughs> um, and it's not that it's bad at all by any means. And earlier on, depending on what we had seen, I may have rated it higher uh, there, it's it's a good, entertaining watch, but like you just mentioned, it's not one that I'm going to tell you. You know, top ten movies in the world, you got to go see it. Right. Um, there's there there's a little bit of gap in the storytelling. There's some rough edges in it, mm-hmm. and it is obviously, you know, based on the sets and the limitations in it, it's obviously a film that was made during the era when they were cranking out 10 movies a week. Right. You know, so I don't have a great reason to rate it higher, so I kind of can't. Sure, no, I understand. (laughs) Uh, But it's kind of along the same vein as, um, you know, last month, where it's like the characters are so engaging I I really recommend watching it. If you enjoy black and white film at all, mm-hmm. you might as well watch it. There are a couple of parts, especially early on, where you get a little bit of the 1940s racial segregation feeling going on, but it's not prevalent. It's not a theme in the movie at all. Um, and, and that's not what I would base the rating on anyway. (laughs) But there's just enough in it that don't make it exceptional. Uh, You know, if you told me you have to pick between this one and three of a kind, I'd pick three of a kind every time. Sure. So uh, so that's that's my poor explanation for a firm belief in a a three-othal rating. (laughs) Well, and I will will gladly um, admit that probably a good one point of my rating goes to harry langdon i just loved watching <laughs> him wonderful to watch he i really loved watching him watch. do everything that he did i just i was mesmerized I he with and him Effie both yeah. yeah but him him yeah Effie's great but him in particular just everything he did his mannerisms the way he would move mm-hmm. uh, just the flourishes he would add to the to the things <laughs> as he was saying them Mm-hmm. I, I just loved watching him. So, yeah, one point 
just just for him alone. For me, I just loved <laughs> I'll give him. You, I'll give you that. <laughs> it's just I just I just loved him. I just really really enjoyed him, and so I I probably do rate this a little higher just because I could. I could turn off the sound and watch this yeah. film just to watch him. And I, yeah. I may dig, try to dig up some of his other films, especially if there's any of his silent films, if they still exist, if I can find them. That's I'm, a real thought. Yeah, I may try to find and, and, and watch these things and, and see how different, because obviously he sounds like he had a slightly different character in those films mm-hmm. than he does in something like this. So I'd yes. be curious to see if my appreciation of him holds through to those type of films or if it is really like no i needed him to make the change you know right well when you look at his early photos from the 19 teens i mean they you said something about him having kind of a baby face he has like an infant face (laughs) so the way he acts in this movie he couldn't do with a younger face Mm. um but but I'm with you though. I think that it'd be really interesting to go back and see some of his earlier things and see if he's it's fun to watch then as he is now yeah. in, in this in this movie. I guess that's going to do it then. Unless you have do you have anything else you want to say about misbehaving husbands? I I don't. But I'm going to tell you, Christopher, that you should go back and rewatch the scenes with Nan again and see if you don't appreciate her a little more. I, I will do so. I I, she, I will watch this film again. <laughs> I, I think I will too. I, I like I mentioned, I got a laugh out loud moment from my husband sitting next to me when I was rewatching it, and it actually surprised me. But um, you know, for somebody that's not invested in watching it, he he found some of it pretty funny. So yeah. I would definitely recommend going back and seeing it again and seeing if you can catch some of the things that you missed. Yeah, and I should add that that'll be my fi- kind of my final thought on the film is or final thing that I'm going to say about the film is you, there are some films we've watched some comedies that we've we've found entertaining but this is the first one where i've sat and actually kind of chuckled to <laughs> i mean audibly chuckled to mm-hmm. and i so yeah it's just it there's just a certain amount of enjoyment that i got out of this film that i've i've not i don't know if i've gotten out of any other films not <laughs> I've, I've probably laughed at a few other films but they weren't meant to be funny right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah all right, well, then that will do it. I want to thank everyone for tuning in. Again, you know, look for us on Facebook. Uh, subscribe through any of the you know, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher Radio, Google Play, Spotify. Check us out there. Tell your friends all about us. Rate and review uh, if you can, if any of those options have, have – if any of those formats have that option. And please send us an email or some feedback. And that just actually just reminded me. Uh, I had a comment on the YouTube – on a, one of our YouTube uh, videos – and I, I haven't mentioned we get lots of comments on that on our YouTube channel, and I don't really usually mention them because a lot of them are just wow, this was great, um, thanks for sharing, or uh, I watched this when I was a kid and it was really good. Just short things like that. Uh, this was a comment on a film, a very different film from this one, uh, back on of Human Bondage. This is the one that starred uh, Betty Davis. If you remember that one, we covered this. Mm-hmm. My gosh, I guess that was over a year ago, maybe. Isn't that crazy? It's been a while. This was a Chip Cook is the username. He leaves this comment. He mentions that it skips a couple of details from the book. Uh, I guess it couldn't be helped. One night stands, syphilis, and sin without punishment weren't allowed after the Hayes Code. I think Leslie Howard was about as good as actors ever get. Add another movie to his credits. Francis D is new is a new face in my mind. She did a wonderful job here. Reginald Oden is always a treat. 
Somehow I never can imagine Betty Davis as that young, but I guess she had to have been at one time. A, re- a real scene stealer. Thanks again for preserving something wonderful that could otherwise have been completely abandoned. So I, that was just probably one of the best comments we've gotten on some of these videos, and I've, I just wanted to mention that. Yeah, so, yeah, absolutely. thank you very much, Mr. Cook. If you happen if you happen to listen to the show, I really appreciate you uh, leaving that comment. That was fantastic. Yeah, me as well. And that was an interesting film. And, yeah, it was 19, I, that was 1934, so that would have been just into the Hays Code time. I was thinking that was pre-code, so that might be right on that border. Mm-hmm. I don't remember the details on that one. I think someone does kind of get theirs in the end on that one, don't they? <laughs> I, oh, I'd have to go back and watch it to remember. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure I'm going to do that, though. <laughs> But anyway, that is going to do it. Thank you very much, Chip, for leaving that comment. And if anybody listening wants to leave any comments uh, on the YouTube channel, go right ahead or go ahead and email them at orphanedentertainment at gmail.com. Well, before we go, I've got one more thing. Oh, sure. Okay. This is our December episode, so happy holidays, Oh, guys. that's right. Thank you very much for <laughs> reminding me. Oh, I've been terrible about I've, you know, there There is a gift that some podcasters have to kind of pre-planning when episodes drop. Um, I have not, I, after almost 10 years of podcasting, I have not quite grabbed that gift yet. Um, so, yes. I'll happy, get it for you this year. Thank you. Yeah, happy happy holidays, everybody. I'm glad we picked a fun film to discuss on this, you know, holiday season. I mean, this is definitely a film you could sit down and uh, you could even probably watch it with the family, really. Yes. I think we mentioned when we were talking about what we were going to do for this month, we wanted to do something a little fun, a little family uh, oriented. So I hope you guys get a chance to watch this. Your kids might get a kick out of it, but it'd be fun to see what their reactions are if you guys want to post on Facebook and let us know. Yep, thank you. Yeah, that, that would be fantastic. And to, you know, Lydia, you too, have a fantastic holiday. You too. Merry Christmas. Happy Hanukkah and Kwanzaa and Ramadan and I don't know all of the holidays, but <laughs> <laughs> whatever you're celebrating, I hope you guys enjoy it. Thank you. You do the same. Same goes to all our listeners. Thank you very much for listening. Fantastic holidays with everybody and with your families. And, you know, watch some fun films. Sit down together. Because uh, the only thing better than watching a film was watching a film with others. And yes. the holidays are a fantastic time to do it. So that's it. All right, Lydia, thank you very much for joining me once again. Thank you, Christopher. It's always so much fun. And I guess we will see everybody next year. Yeah. 2019. Oh Holy cow. Holy cow. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess have a, a fun and safe new year as well, everybody. We definitely want to have you back in January for our next episode. So that's it. All right. Bye, everybody. <laughs> Bye. Bye.